Hey, hoop ballers, are you into sports betting? Do you want to know why a certain game has a funky line? Well, HoopBall has you covered. Today in sports betting is a great addition to all your handicapping questions with hosts Ira Silver and Devin Ellington. We break down game lines and future bets on all sports and try to make some money along the way. Follow us on Twitter at HoopBallGaming, at Ira Silver Magic, and at D-A-L-E-007. And download Today in Sports Betting in the App Store, Google Play, and available on Spotify. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What sort of fresh hell is this? No games tonight? Come on, that's not fair. There was a perfectly reasonable way to put Miami-Boston tonight while holding on to that Denver Clippers Game 7 until tomorrow. We gotta wait until tomorrow for both? No, I say fie on this idea, NBA. Fie on your schedule for this Monday night. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy. Welcome to, welcome to your fantasy salad. Hold the salad. It's a weird time, isn't it? Tis a weird time. Although, I gotta admit, it's a little bit fun. Oh, by the way, I'm Dan Bespris, uh, your gracious host throughout. There was a time, and Lord help me, I'd love to do it again, and maybe I will, where I had guest hosts on this thing, and I got to take a couple days off a week. Those were simpler times. Now it's it's full bore all the time, especially right now. Well, things are super weird, and the schedule is all off the, off the wall crazy. My thought is... Uh, Anybody that tunes in is going to be doing so kind of randomly and on a whim, and I feel like they should probably hear me. If somebody tunes in and they're like, oh, who's this guy? Is this the host of the show and it's not me? Then they'll be pretty weirded out. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is, of course, a HoopBall presentation. HoopBall is hoop-ball.com. That's the website, HoopBall Fantasy. If you want to follow their fantasy feed, Hoopball Tweets is the Twitter handle that covers all things Hoopball, which right now are plentiful. Hoopball Lakers has a brand new episode from last night, breaking down their uh, semis, the victory over the Rockets, and then sort of game planning for who comes out of that Denver Clippers series. We had Hoopball Clippers podcast drop yesterday. Brandon Marcus and Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film have Sunday episodes together. Those are both fantastic, fantastic shows. I strongly suggest you check those out. Um, and so, really, right now, it's sort of the uh, the L.A. contingent rumbling along. Um, and that's largely who's left in the playoffs at the moment. So, we'll see, I guess. But check those out. That's Again, that's at HoopBallTweets. You can see all of our stuff because it gets retweeted through that account. And then you can follow the individual accounts from there. Wonderful work from the guys over at HoopBall Gaming while we're doing shout-outs first thing on the show. I know Devin... I think he started his college football weekend 8-1. and one. I didn't see what happened after that, but I'm sure it ended relatively well. They did a special football episode on Saturday that covered college football and the NFL slate. Those guys are just crushing it. Again, that Twitter handle, and I strongly suggest you guys follow that. If you've been enjoying my breakdowns on the NBA, they do that for all sports. At HoopBallGaming is the Twitter account, and the podcast that they're putting out is called Today in Sports Betting. Today in sports betting, again, please, please, please check that out. It's fantastic. 
uh, Mike Santino and crew on DFS. I mean, things are just, they're humming, man. Hoop ball's humming. We don't have a game to break down tonight, so this will be a slightly shorter podcast, even than our already shortened editions, because I'd like to, uh, to spend tomorrow's show breaking down the games tomorrow. If I do it today, then we just won't have anything to talk about on tomorrow's podcast. So rather than do that and blow all of our content from tomorrow's show, today's show will be a weekend recap and then anything that you call a news break in the NBA, although there really wasn't a ton of that over the weekend other than, uh, I'm trying to think of when different things happened. Did we talk about them already on, on the Friday show? I honestly don't remember. But right now there are six NBA head coaching vacancies. And so that's the first thing we're going to talk about on today's podcast. And I'm curious, and I, I put this out on Twitter and I sort of rode the coattails of uh, the great Keith Smith, who had put the question out, and then I I retweeted it to everybody in my circle here. Which job is the best? Which open NBA head coaching position is the best? We're getting, I'm getting a lot of different answers, actually. The, the vacancies right now, the Chicago Bulls, the Houston Rockets, the Indiana Pacers, the New Orleans Pelicans, Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Philadelphia 76ers. Each position has its different allure and each position has its different downsides and I think that's why we're getting so many different answers for instance and I'll just go through them one by one here on the show because you know what the hell else we got it going on um well maybe we'll do a weekend recap first yeah let, let's put a pin in this one and we'll come back over the uh we'll, we'll talk about the coaching openings after we go through our weekend recap so yesterday Sunday morning here on the Pacific Coast 10 a.m start time I don't I don't fully understand why the NBA decided they wanted to fire up their one Sunday game head-to-head with the first 1 p.m. Eastern football NFL slate of the year. I know there had been one NFL game already that happened on Thursday. That was our freebie over at my bookie. Hope you guys enjoyed that $45 winner. You didn't have to do you didn't have to do anything at all on that $45 winner. Why didn't you do that? I'm going to tell you guys how you can get involved in my bookie here shortly. Anyway, the NBA put their game up against the NFL, and I'm guessing nobody watched it. Uh, what nobody saw was that Denver beat the Clippers 111-98 after falling behind by 19 again. A 16-point comeback in Game 5, a 19-point comeback in Game 6, and the Nuggets are rolling going into Game 7. Nikola Jokic is absolutely destroying the Clippers. Montrez Harrell in particular is getting picked on. My the the social media landscape is not pleased with the work he's doing on defense. Ivica Zubats is getting owned. I know he's doing a slightly better job on Jokic. I think Jokic only shot 50 or 51% or something against Zubats in yesterday's ball game, but Ivica 2 points, 12 rebounds. In that game, he went one for six from the field. Jokic, 34, 14, and seven. And you got good Jamal Murray. You got kind of semi-quiet Jamal Murray for part of the ball game, and then Jamal Murray popped off a little bit late, which has been not really his MO. He tends to sort of stick with one thing throughout the game. Well, he wasn't bad early in yesterday's game. He's just sort of kind of plodding along. Meanwhile, massive difference maker for the Nuggets has been Gary Harris. Someone out there playing on defense. Four steals in yesterday's ballgame. 
two big three-pointers, scored 16 points. He was a big factor uh, for a team that needed a third thing, a third guy to go and do stuff. And he was that third guy in yesterday's game. For the Clippers, they had no third guy. Lou Williams had 14 points on 11 shots, and that's about as close as they got to a third, like, solid performance. But, you know, if you're going to call that a third performance, then you have to also say for the Nuggets, Michael Porter Jr. had 13, Monty Morris had 10. There were five Nuggets in double figures. There were only four Clippers in double figures. And really what it came down to is that Paul George, who uh, actually was pretty damn good in yesterday's game, five steals, a block, 33 points on only 21 shots. He had four three-pointers. He made all 11 of his free throws. The Clippers actually didn't play that poorly, and they just got smoked on defense. And this is what I talked about going into the series. I legitimately did not think the Nuggets had a chance in this series. So I'm not trying to claim that I had any idea this was coming. I did not. This is a massive surprise to me. And everybody that's been texting me during these games like, is this really happening? My response is, I figured the Clippers would take care of the Nuggets in five. I thought once Clippers went up three to one, that was sort of the backbreaker in a different way than I thought about it with Utah, because Utah-Denver was always a tight series. That was like, oh, well, Utah's just playing a little harder right now. This one was an outclassing for three of those first four games, and one of those games, the Clippers just sort of closed their eyes and saw, well, can we win with our eyes closed? The answer was no. And then these last two, they have been they're a really weird basketball. The Clippers have gone up big, and I mean big, 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 in both of these games. They have been cruising into the third quarter in each of the last two games, and then it's just all come apart. And for the Clippers, body language has been a big factor to me, but let's loop back around to that because the from a schematic, from a, just from a matchup standpoint, one of the things we said going into this series was the Clippers had the right personnel to deal with Jamal Murray, who, by the way, did have a good ball game yesterday. So I don't want to say that you know they've they've completely neutralized him, but they have neutralized him a little bit. Like he has not been particularly good in this series, and and all the the uh, the hubbub coming into yesterday's game, in fact, even after the comeback, was that Jamal Murray had seen the largest drop in average scoring from one series to the next or the second largest ever behind Sean Marion, oddly enough, the Matrix, who had a really big scoring series, even though that wasn't kind of, wasn't really his thing. He wasn't known for popping off for 40 or 50 points. Jamal Murray has these explosions, right? He had 50, 42, and then 50 against Utah in the first round and then turned the the page over and the Clippers, it was 12, 27. That was good, Jamal. That was the game they won. 14, they lost. 18, they lost. 26, they won, but it took him 25 shots to get there. And then yesterday, I would argue, was easily his best game of the series, just from an overall efficiency standpoint. Yesterday, he shot 9 for 13. In the previous five games of this series, he was 5 for 15. That's 33%. 10 for 21, which is one we're calling a very good game, even though he was still sub-50%. 5 for 17, 29%, 6 for 15, and 9 for 25. Those games were 40 and 36% respectively. To Jamal's credit, even while he's been shooting the ball horribly from the field the first six games of this series, he's actually done a much better job passing 
during the postseason than he did at any point, really, during the regular season. I don't know if that actually bears out in the stats overall right now. His regular season numbers, he averaged 18.5 points and uh, 4.8 assists per ball game. Um, his, his postseason numbers this year, see if I can pull those up and get them in front of me. Nah, it doesn't seem to be working. Well, regardless, his postseason numbers, uh, at least right now, against the Clippers, 6-6-9-7-7-5. We can do that math quickly. That's 12, 21, 28, 35, 40 assists in six ball games. That's almost seven. So just shy of seven. It's about six and, and two-thirds versus 4.8. So he's up two assists per game during this series compared to the regular season. And he actually had a decent assisting series against Utah, although not quite the same leap because, well, he was scoring 40 points a game. I mean, that would, you know, he didn't have to pass as much when you're hitting nine three-pointers and scoring 50 points. So give Jamal a lot of credit. Uh, they've, they've run him off of screens. They run Jokic off of screens. Those guys are making really good passes, and he made a few of them yesterday. It's a, it's a part of his game that's been, uh, well, at times lacking. For Murray, he hasn't been the world's greatest passer. He's been stuck on 4.8 assists a game each of the last two years because Jokic is the, effectively the point guard for that team. He hasn't needed to do it. But he's shown the ability to make good passes in this series while keeping his turnovers relatively low. 2, 3, 2, 4, 1, 1. That's pretty good, actually. So Jamal Murray finally had a good ball game. And the Nuggets won by 13 as a result. This game didn't even end up being close. But more than Jamal Murray's evolution as a passer and his ability to finally uh, have a good shooting game, the one thing that we knew going into this series was going to be a problem for the Clippers, and frankly, the only thing we thought was going to be a problem for the Clippers, was that they had no one to deal with Jokic. Not many teams do when he's locked in, right? When Jokic is really locked in, there really isn't a whole lot anyone can do about what he does on a basketball court. A lot of it is is awkward. Takes those, you know, he shoots a fadeaway spinning the wrong direction for a right-hander. I mean, think about what he get, did against Rudy Gobert in the first round. 29, 28, 15, that was in the blowout loss. 29, 31, 22, and 30 in the closeout game. He had 30 of their 80 points in that game. Just annihilated Rudy Gobert. And so he's just continued right along that same course here in round two. He's rebounding relatively well. That number's actually a lot better against the Clippers than it was against the Jazz. If you want to talk about anything that Gobert did to Jokic, it's not so much slow him down offensively, but keep him off the glass. Other people had to do the rebounding for Denver in Series 1 because Jokic's job was keep Rudy Gobert off the offensive glass. And it's why I actually think if you're the Lakers, you're really hoping Denver gets through, even though they right now look like the better team between these two clubs, because LA uh, Lakers, rather, match up better against the Nuggets than the Clippers do against the Nuggets. They do. Where the Clippers have the guys that can slow down Jamal Murray a little bit, the Lakers have the guys that can give Jokic a tougher time, namely Anthony Davis, but also Dwight Howard. Not that Jokic isn't going to score over Dwight, but he's going to beat him up. There's no respite in that series. 
The season series against LA is uh, a little bit screwball. They had a game in the bubble where uh, Denver didn't play their starters. You can kind of chuck that one. If you go way back towards the beginning of the season, uh, Fat Jokic was absolutely clowned on by AD. He scored 13 points on 12 shots in a meeting the Lakers won back on December the 3rd. They played two or three weeks later. The Nuggets got their revenge. That was a game with no LeBron for LA. Uh, Jokic had 18 points on only eight shots, but that game was also over early. Um, and then I believe they played shortly before the season shut down. Yeah, it was February 12th leading into, uh, I guess that would be the second. Yeah, that's the, that was the last game before the All-Star break. So also a very difficult game to get any real feed on it. It went into overtime. And Jokic did have a pretty good game. He went 9 for 18, 22 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, But, you know, looking at the other side, AD had 33 and 10. So if you're the Lakers, I think you want the Nuggets. Not that they don't look like the tougher team actually right now, but just from a matchup perspective, the Lakers have things the Clippers don't. And again, no one's really slowing down Jokic. But if anyone can give him pause, can bring him from this... 60% 60% shooting, 30, 14, and 5 monster down, even back to what he was doing against Utah, which was more like 20-something, like 8 rebounds and a handful of assists, it would be the combination of big men the Lakers have. Then it would have to be up to Jamal Murray. And that would be a problem for the Lakers, but you might see, well, you probably see a lot of Alex Caruso there. Danny Green would probably get a, ro- a job on him. They'll try a whole bunch of stuff there because they have the better matchup for the big man. And the Clippers decidedly do not. The Clippers have the matchup to slow down the wings and the small guys, but not much in the way of the big men. The biggest thing about this series, though, Clippers-Denver, the thing that seemingly has allowed the Nuggets to come back and tie this series three games apiece has been the fact that the Clippers are fully inside their own heads in here-we-go-again mode. And that really surprised me. Maybe even more than anything else we've seen in this series. Because everything else in this series, to me, has felt relatively predictable. Jokic has been very good against a team with not particularly great big men. I know, I know, Clippers Twitter, you love Ivica Zubats, and he's fine. He's not bad. He's their best option at center. But when you compare Zubats to, uh, I don't know, a center, any center that can get their own stuff on offense, he's, he's just basically a big dude with decent hands which is fine. That's a useful center on a team that has weapons like the Clippers have, but he's not hes not that good. He's fine. He's fine. So nothing in this series has been that surprising. Kawhi Leonard's been really good. Paul George has gotten his against the Nuggets team that really hadn't deed up all that much, but has a little bit more lately. The thing that's been surprising, as I just said, is that the Clippers feel like they're still haunted by this ghost of Clippers past, and that's surprising the hell out of me because these guys are not the, the, the Clippers past. The meltdown against the Rockets, whatever it was, half a decade ago now, that was a Chris Paul, Blake Griffin team. None of those guys is here anymore. Doc, I guess. Doc Rivers is the only guy left. Paul George, brand new. Kawhi Leonard, brand new. Lou Williams, not brand new, but fairly new. Jermichael Green, brand new. Zubots, acquired him last year. Marcus Morris, got him this year, midstream. This is an entirely new team. 
And it feels like, and I don't maybe, you know, if, if there was a home court game going on here where they could get game seven in their own arena and the crowd maybe could fire them up, but they're back at a neutral site. They're going to have to dig down and find it themselves. Clippers fans across the nation have decided that they are now losing Game 7 of this series. I don't think it's quite so straightforward. In fact, I still think the Clippers win this series. I think they find a way to get over that hump, and the way over that hump is probably more Kawhi Leonard. Which seems crazy because he played 41 minutes, but from a usage standpoint, uh, he got blown out of the water by Paul George. And then the other side is, I mean, get your defensive principles right. I don't think the Clippers are enjoying the bubble. Maybe that's what it comes down to. We know Paul George wasn't. We know he had to talk to somebody to, to sort of try to get his head on right, and he's been playing much better since then. But this just doesn't feel like a team that's really all together and all in it. Remember the quote from Lou Williams before the bubble even started that a lot of them didn't really want to go, but whatever the team voted, they were all going to do together? These guys really want to be there. They're, I don't, you know, a couple of these guys perhaps... We know Montrezl Harrell had to go through a tragedy. So uh, mentally, he's probably not all there. Thinking about other stuff. It's hard. This is a difficult situation for these guys. Teams that are still left in the bubble now. Remember, these guys got there in, in early July. This is now over two months they've been in the bubble. Which at first probably felt like a vacation. And I'm guessing not so much anymore. Because teams keep leaving. And so they're probably just not... I mean, they're not seeing anybody now. There's a handful of teams left. On a big old campus. The Rockets were the only team left in their hotel. They got wiped out now. I think they were alone. Clippers and Lakers, I think they're in the same hotel. Are the Nuggets in that one too? No? I forget. Was it Lakers, Bucks, Raptors, Clippers? Was that the teams in the front one? I don't I don't remember how they broke it down. In any event, it was pretty weird to see the Nuggets go on another run. And to see the Clippers kind of give up. They weren't covering anybody on D. And they just got hit with this avalanche and never recovered. They never stood back up. So I got to think that that's going to be the point of discussion here for Game 7 is, look, you're going to get punched in the mouth at some point. And sometimes it's a haymaker. Nuggets have landed a couple of haymakers here, but you got to get back up. Remember that game the Lakers went up by whatever it was, 19-20-something on the Rockets, and they ended up taking a five-point lead? Lakers bounced back, won that game. It's easy to lose focus when you go up big because you're playing so hard in these playoff games, and you're executing, and everything is so tight. That's like, oh, it's working. It's working. We've got them. And then, uh-oh, because basketball is a game of runs. You take your foot off the gas a little bit. You let them into it. Give them confidence. Got to make a play. Someone's got to make a play. Kawhi hit a couple of threes to delay the inevitable in this game, but they just weren't covering anyone. That was a bad, bad performance. Yikes. So they'll play again on Tuesday. We'll see what happens. We'll break that one down on uh, tomorrow's podcast. By the way, uh, that ball game had a total of 214 and just did barely go under the mark. The uh, the pace of these games has, as you'd expect, continued to slow down a little bit. Clippers underperformed their expected pace in this game. The Nuggets uh, overperformed, vastly overperformed theirs. 
uh, let's see, 88 and 13. And yeah, Nuggets were should have had about 101, 102 points. Clippers actually probably should have been somewhere in the neighborhood of about 104, 105. Uh, but weren't able to capitalize on a lot of their actual field goal attempts. Nuggets outshot them 54 to 41%. And so uh, expected total in this game was around 205. And it actually went over uh, by about four or five points. So the under was definitely the side in that game. And for a game seven, I, they've adjusted it down a lot to 207 and a half. I would strongly consider it. <laughs> we'll talk about that tomorrow, though. Uh, other game to break down from over the weekend, Lakers and Rockets on Saturday. Lakers finished off the Rockets. Oh, you know what? I don't think we talked about the Mike D'Antoni thing, but we'll we'll talk about coaching in just a second here because all those openings. Uh, Lakers just whipped them right from the outset. Opened up a big lead. Record-setting 19 three-pointers for L.A. They out-rebounded the Rockets 50-31, to and this was just uh, micro ball getting exposed. Well, maybe that's not the, the the right term. There was an exposure that happened to microball, but there were also big issues with Houston's attempts to play it. Namely, namely, Russell Westbrook. He doesn't at all fit what Houston's trying to do as a cohort to James Harden. He doesn't. What the Rockets really need is a mobile big man that can shoot the three. I mean, what they really need is Anthony Davis, but there's only one of those dudes out there. And I know they sent away Clint Capella because he was a mobile big man, but he couldn't shoot the three, and he couldn't... He was fine. Uh, he was, like, av- average or slightly sub-average for a big man and guarding the perimeter. But if they had a slightly bigger center... Like, I get it. You can play P.J. Tucker at center all you want, but... Lakers players were literally just leaping over him. LeBron had 11 rebounds. Anthony Davis had 11 rebounds. It was it was a clobbering. It was a clobbering on the glass of epic proportions. The Rockets need someone in there to deal with the rebounding thing. If they could rebound at all, this would have been a series, despite the fact that they didn't do much on offense. But they couldn't rebound at all. 19, you can't get a rebounded by... I mean, they got a rebounded by like 30 in the previous game. What was the final number in that one on Thursday? Lakers won that game by 10, 52 to 26. They doubled them up. 26 rebound edge. And in this one, it was a 19 rebound edge. Rocket shot just 37%. They Lakers forced them out of whatever they really wanted to do. They were just like, look, Harden, you know, you can get hot if you want, but we're not going to, we're going to take the ball out of your hands as often as humanly possible. We're going to make these other guys try to beat us without the three-pointer. And it worked perfectly. It worked great. Houston never made the adjustment, or the counter-adjustment. Meanwhile, the Lakers are like, Russ, you do whatever you want. We're not letting you get within 16 feet of the bucket. And he had 10 points on 13 shots. And then got in a verbal altercation with Rajon Rondo's brother. Utter silliness. Rockets flame out. Mike D'Antoni tells his team on the flight home he's not coming back. He is a free agent, and the Rockets are without a head coach. Um, I mean, personnel standpoint, that's what they got to figure out. Because you can run microball all day, but you just you can't play P.J. Tucker at center for a, whole se- for a whole season. And you can't play him at center against a center with skill. They got away with it against Oklahoma City because the Thunder had no one that could beat them on switches. Right? The Thunder, the Rockets just switched everything. The Thunder tried to race their little guys inside, but those little guys were not great finishers. Schroeder, decent finisher. Shea, 
improving. Chris Paul, not a good finisher at all. He's a mid-range jumper guy. Gallo was the closest thing they got, but he wasn't quick enough. It was a horrible matchup for the Thunder, and the fact that they made it as tough as they did was a testament to OKC's defense and Lugans Dort, mostly. But now you saw the Lakers, who didn't have a hardened stopper or whatever you want to call it, they said, look, we're going to play this scheme. Can you stop us? And the answer was, absolutely not. Houston couldn't stop them at all. It was fun to see the Rockets try something. This was new. This was a, they were like, look, we're not, we're, there's no chance we're going to get past these guys if we just stick to what we're doing right now. So let's blow it up. Let's do something crazy. But damn, I wish they hadn't. They probably do, but I also wish they hadn't made that offseason trade. Russell Westbrook has been uh, a, a brutal fit for a team trying to do whatever it is they're doing. This is a, this is a space-the-floor team, and he's a superstar who can't shoot the three. They need a big man who can defend and shoot the three. That's That, to me, is you have to adjust your micro ball. It doesn't have to be a huge, it doesn't have to be a seven-foot-one guy, but it's got to be someone like an AD, but you're not getting him, that can handle defending other fives, whether they're inside or outside, and also willing to kind of hang around a little bit, but can rebound can slash, can capitalize when they get looks near the rim. The Rockets couldn't do anything near the rim. And I get it. The Lakers are a very good defensive team. So there's a little bit of that has to go into the thinking a little bit. But, you know, when these guys get around the bucket, they need to be able to, they need to finish. So there's some holes in this micro ball. And, you know, the biggest one, the Lakers likely revealed, which is get the ball out of James Harden's hands and force everybody else to beat you. One-on-one, basically. They didn't have that. Chris Paul was that. He could shoot the three. He could run a pick and roll. They had other things they could do. Westbrook, that's a head down and bully. That doesn't, that's not going to work in the playoffs. We've seen that a million times. So the Lakers move on. The Rockets head home and start the search. That series, uh, by the way, that last game went ever so slightly under the total, but that was basically a wash. I think that game opened at 215, and that's what it finished at, which is pretty much why I said I wasn't betting it. And I feel good about that. It was The total was bet up to 217, so folks that bet late. By the way, uh, if you're betting totals, generally, and we look at unders for the most part, there are a couple of overs that I thought this is the, the time, if ever. You want to wait until generally right near the end because the public money trickles in on the over pretty much all day long. And uh, then you can jump in on a slightly higher number right before the game tips. That's the way it's been for every single one of these playoff games. I think there's been like one that went the other way. Something to think about for tomorrow, and we will talk about that tomorrow. But today, the other thing I want to talk about on today's pod, which, by the way, ended up being of normal length, is the openings now. The, the coaching openings. Oh, by the way, all this stuff, all the betting things we're talking about, of course, brought to you by our buddies over at mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag gave away money last week. They gave away money last week. I know a handful of you guys got down on that. I hope some of you that already had accounts got down on it. I'm hoping some of you guys opened up new accounts with the promo code HoopBall and got down on that free money. That type of thing doesn't have or didn't. I talked about this last week. That type of thing never happened even two years ago. But now that sports betting is legalized, sports books are competing for your dollars like a regular business would. A regular business does it by lowering their prices, having sales, specials, 
Sports books, they can't really do that. A line is a line, and they want to split the action, so they're not going to do something weird there. But they might offer you, say, deposit bonuses, which we've talked about. Those have rollovers attached to them. This didn't. They basically were just like, look, here's a $50 bet we're offering you that you cannot lose, but please come spend your gambling dollars with us. That's what that was. If that ever pops up again, believe me, we will tell you, and we will scream it from the mountaintops. We will scream it from the mountaintops. By the way, the uh, pair of Monday night football games this evening, the Pittsburgh Steelers are a a 6.5-point favorite against the Giants, and the Titans are laying 3.5 against the Denver Broncos. I don't know anything about football totals in those games, 45 and 41. Those numbers available at my bookie as well. If you do open up an account, bet some football or some basketball or whatever it might be, following me on basketball or our guys over at Hoopball Gaming on every other sport on planet Earth, make sure you use the promo code HOOPBALL. It's on the third page of sign-up. It lets them know that you heard about them through us, which makes us look very good as a corporate partner for them, and it unlocks different promotions you can use on your first deposit if you want to. They're all by choice. You don't have to use certain promotions. They have like three that are available no matter what promo code you enter. And then there's some other good stuff uh, like the 100% deposit match that uh, unlocks when you use our promo code. So all those things are floating around. The thing that we capitalized on yesterday was called the odds boost. Not yesterday, last week. And that was awesome. And I cannot wait until something like that pops up again. In the meantime... We're going to slow play it. We're going to bet a few things here, a few things there, spot bet, and just kind of grind out some winners and uh, churn a profit. That's the key. All right, coaches. Okay. Oh, by the way, again, that's uh, coupon code HOOPBALL. The coaches. Chicago. Interesting youth. That's the upside there. The downside is, I don't know, is it a mismatched set of pieces? Possibly. And they're, you know, simply not as good right now. The Rockets, you come right into a team with two superstars. That's a pretty good coaching job, except you also come into a team completely hamstrung with cash all tied up, no draft picks forever, and one superstar that doesn't really fit with the other. So you have issues. If you're coming in as a head coach, you have to try to figure out how to work those pieces together. Um, Staggering, apparently, only works in the regular season. But again, it's a good team. Indiana, also already a good team. A little confused why Nate McMillan was gone, considering they didn't have their best player for the postseason and they didn't have Victor Oladipo at full strength. But I actually like that job. In fact, I think, well, Philly is a possibility. If I'm looking at these gigs, Philly is probably my favorite and then Indiana is probably my second favorite. Uh, Mostly because you're in the Eastern Conference, for one. Chicago is two, but they're simply not as good. So there's always going to be this path. We don't know what's going to happen with Toronto next year. The Bucks are always are going to be at the top of the regular season again, but Boston's going to be good, but if you're Philly, you come into next year thinking we got a legitimate shot to be number 2 or number 3 in the Eastern Conference next year. That's pretty good. Indiana, they can they can say you're sort of number 3, number 4 type of thing as they target next season. The downsides, of course, Philadelphia totally mismatched pieces. I have no idea what a coach is going to do with that team to make it all fit other than, you know, the offseason is going to be a big deal. Can they bring in floor spacing and can they figure out a way to get these pieces to fit together? I, You know, the thing about Philadelphia is they, they took Boston down to the wire in pretty much every single game, even though they got they ended up getting swept. 
Ben Simmons in there, that probably ends up a six or seven game series, and I don't know which way it goes. That was the thing about Philly. They were actually pretty good this year when they were focused, and then they lost arguably their most important player. I know Joel Embiid is probably their best individual player, but without Ben Simmons, that team's offense didn't go, and their defense changed dramatically. He was a league leader in steals. He's an all-defense guy. And they slot in Al Horford, who can, who's, well, frankly, getting old. New Orleans is an interesting one. Uh, a similar sort of status as Chicago with slightly better, I would argue, young pieces, maybe a little further along other than Zion. Lonzo Ball, uh, Brandon Ingram. They already have Drew Holiday if you want to build around a veteran or you can move guys around. That's a team that needs to buy into playing some defense because they were not playing any defense at all. And if everybody else on that team plays as much defense as Drew Holiday, they'll be in the playoffs. They won't play that much D, but they actually have that opportunity. They really do. They should be better than they were. I kind of get that one. Some of these firings I don't fully understand. Chicago, I completely understood. That was boiling. Uh, Houston, it sounds like D'Antoni chose to do it himself. I don't really get the Nate McMillan firing. That one confuses me. Um, Billy Donovan, he wants to be on a team that's not rebuilding, so I get it. Philly, that was it was kind of time for a change more than anything else. All right, I guess on a recap, Indiana's the one that I really don't get. Nate McMillan seemed like he did a pretty damn good job out there. I know their offense was not creative, but they missed their inside presence against a Miami team that, I mean, the Heat are showing themselves to be quite good. What if you saw the Heat go on and just spank the Bucks? Do you think McMillan still gets fired if they watch for another two weeks? Like, oh, boy, turns out Miami might be the best team in the Eastern Conference in these playoffs. We lost to them, but, boy, that's really not as bad as we thought it was seven days ago. I don't like I didn't like that firing and I still don't like that firing. Everything else I guess makes sense on this list. If you're giving me my choices, I'm going Philly, first and foremost, because I think there's a way to make that work. And I don't think it has to be Ben Simmons takes a three pointer. You don't have to not everyone on your team has to take three pointers to be effective. It would help. It would help, as we saw with Giannis. But it's not like Giannis was a net negative for the Bucks in that series without taking a three-pointer. It was just they loaded up on him, and they said, you beat us another way. It was kind of like what the Lakers did to the Rockets. Houston tried some stuff. Lakers were just too strong. There are things that Philly could do with a healthy Ben Simmons and their current roster that would make them a pretty damn tough team. Embiid is an all-world talent at center. Horford, for all of his foibles, is still one of the smartest defenders in the NBA, and that's helpful. Josh Richardson isn't bad. Tobias Harris maybe takes too many shots. If they could upgrade that shooting, I guess. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. They have a lot of really good pieces. They're, to me, Philly is a championship contender, if healthy. Focus was their big issue this season. It was all focus. Everybody's like, oh, Philly fell apart. No, they were the same damn team the whole season long. They won at home at a record clip, and they lost on the road at a record clip. Nothing changed other than they lost their most important piece for how they played. And they tried to make this wholesale change, like making Ben Simmons a power forward going into the bubble. What are you doing? 
What you were doing was actually working. It was only working at home, though. That was the inexplicable part. It wasn't like you needed to completely reinvent the wheel. So I like Philadelphia as my favorite spot. I'd go Indiana as my second spot because they're not my number one. There's no way I could put Indiana number one because I really like the pieces they have on that team. It just feels like they are capped a little bit because, you know, players don't really desperately want to go there. And I don't know where they make their big leap. You know, they've got Brogdon, solid. Oladipo, solid when healthy. Sabonis, Miles Turner, TJ Warren, Jeremy Lamb. If healthy, they are a very good team. It just, to me, feels like they don't have the one guy that can get them over the top. Jimmy Butler is the kind of guy that's getting teams over the top. LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic right now. Teams that remain in the bubble. For Boston, Jason Tatum has started to become that guy. Although, on you know, they're a team at the moment that just has like four really, really good guys. Boston is like a slightly upgraded version of Indiana, frankly. So I, if, if you're Indy, I don't know what you do. You have to figure out a way to get a, a bona fide superstar in there. But I don't think that's coming. So if you get that job, you probably just run out your tenure and you probably don't win a championship. So maybe I don't put Indiana second because there's, there's no real room to, to explode higher with that one. All right, let me, re- let me rethink this then. Uh, so Philly's my number one, because I think they could actually win a championship the way they're currently built. I really do. I-, I don't think they need that many massive tweaks. They have the superstar power, which is damn hard to find. I think then you probably leap over Indiana to New Orleans, just because, again, you're looking for upside, and what if Zion does become, if he can sort out his body stuff, he could become a bona fide superstar. And the pieces around him are pretty damn good already. So New Orleans is probably my number two. Um, I'll go Houston over Chicago because, again, they have one of the best players in the NBA. And so, you know, it's not a bad spot to land. Houston, Indiana, I put in relatively similar buckets. Chicago over Oklahoma City for me because I think the Thunder are still more towards the front end of a rebuild. Chicago is in the middle of one and hopefully looking to come out of that tailspin. And if I'm a coach, I'm looking at Chicago like, oh, this is a team that dramatically underperformed. And so I can just come in and step right over the insanely low bar that my predecessor set. That's a good spot to be in. You always want to replace someone who sucks at their job. Because you could just be adequate and you'll look like a superhero. That's what's happening in Chicago right now. So there you go. Uh, And then my least favorite spot is Oklahoma City because who the hell wants to sit through you know, four or five years of draft picks. They're going to be good, and at the end of it, they'll probably be a pretty decent team, but we don't know who the hell's even going to be left at that point. Will they have signed Shea to a long-term deal while they're slowly drafting guys up around him? Or are they going to trade assets at some point? Will they push the chips into the middle? That's the hope, I guess, if you take that job, but based on the fact that Billy Donovan left, it makes me think that that ain't happening for a couple of years, at least. Curious everybody's thoughts out there. Feel free to shoot them my way at Dan Bespris. And while you're at it, check out manscaped.com. Yeah, snuck that. Snuck it in there on you guys. Snuck that ad in towards the end of the podcast today. Uh, manscaped.com. Coupon code is HOOPBALL20. You get 20% off and free shipping by entering that code on your checkout at manscaped.com. Check out the Lawnmower 3.0, the waterproof electric trimmer. You can use it on any part of yourself. I know that they push the below the belt stuff. I happily use it on my neck all the time. 
pinch-free technology is great. I actually haven't used it in the shower yet. I'll be honest with you guys. Haven't taken it and demoed the waterproof stuff. I love that it has a built-in LED near the near the blades. Not There's an LED near the bottom that shows you when it's charging or when it's turned on. There's actually another one up near the blades that kind of shines where you're trimming and then the end of the trimmer. It's really helpful. They also have other stuff if you want to check out their whole catalog over at Manscaped. Uh, they have the older lawnmower if you want the, the slightly cheaper edition. They have the weed whacker, an ear and nose trimmer, uh, luxury nail kit. They have a, a uh, shaving mat you can put underneath you, disposable shaving mats. They've got a travel bag, t-shirts, boxers, deodorants, uh, powders, toners, body washes. They got all this stuff. And anything you get at Manscaped, use the coupon code HOOPBALL20 and get 20% off. They're really good folks over there. I love working with the team at Manscaped. They've been... Uh, a lot of fun for us here at Hoopball. Well, this one went longer than I thought. Good for me for coming up with content on the fly. Have a great Monday, everybody. Welcome to another week of action. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a Hoopball presentation. Drop a five-star review if you can. I love you forever. I'm Dan Vasperis. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.